This episode is sponsored by Private Members Clubs, 5 Hertford Street, and Oswald's. Owned by entrepreneur Robin Burley, they sit in the heart of Mayfair, London. Opening in 2012 and 2018, respectively, the clubs operate in the luxury hospitality market and comprise of restaurants, bars, Lulu's nightclub, cigar shop, sushi bar, roof terrace, and a courtyard. Our vision and mission is to be a home away from home, where members are looked after by a team who know them by name. To be the best in every way possible, showing passion in what we do, attention to detail, and a smile being the pinnacle of all our service. Our motto has always been to put our people first. This is fundamental to us achieving an average retention rate of 70%. We offer a range of initiatives to enable staff to be engaged and have a voice. Employee benefits are available to all from day one and include our weekly well-being days, which provide a variety of options for staff to take some time out, whilst our employee assistance program gives advice on a variety of topics from finances to legal support. A role at 5 Hertford Street or Oswald's could become a career path with a multitude of opportunities. Our Recommend a Friend bonus scheme encourages a community approach to recruitment and rewards employees for their involvement in building our team. The scope of career prospects at the clubs is vast, from food and beverage, front of house, back of house, kitchens, wines and beverage, to head office roles such as membership, finance, and HR. For more information about working for the clubs, please contact hr at 5hertfordstreet.com. Good afternoon and welcome to 50 Shades of Hospitality. This is Crystal Cavan. Today we are welcoming Claude Achaume to our program. Welcome Claude. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi Crystal and hi everyone. Well, my name is Claude, as you just mentioned it. I work in a private club in London. When I was very young, I wanted to be a chef. I was lucky to meet Mr. Joseph Cocher who was the big man at the Kettering College in Strasbourg, and he helped me to enter into the Saint-Chamond Kettering College. After a year there, I've decided to go for front of house instead of becoming a chef. It changed my mind. But I maintained my passion for cooking as a passion. <laughs> After you finished college, what did you do? Where did you go? Well, once I passed all my exam, Mr. Cocher said, what we're we going to do now and you really have to do it to get the practice is to work to do seasons which means summer by the seaside and winter in the ski resort so i've done this for a few years they were all top hotel where he sent me and then i've got an experience and a good certificate as well which was at that time was very very important because you could get good jobs if you had a good certificate so the season used to be like maybe four months, six months, a bit longer, like uh, I did uh, quite a long season at the Mont-Saint-Michel, uh, La Mer Poulard, and that was uh, from spring all the way to October. Uh-huh. So that was uh, the longest season I've ever done, and the hardest one. <laughs> Lots of tourists. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Never seen so many tourists in my life. Never. <laughs> 
And it was a hard work because it was breakfast, lunch, dinner, and only half day a week off. And my half day used to start at six o'clock in the evening. So straight to bed until the next morning for ready for breakfast. So, Claude, you obviously feel a deep and unconditional passion for the true meaning of hospitality, and your whole professional life has been devoted to ensuring that customers receive the best service that can be offered. Where does this passion for hospitality come from? I don't know. As I said, you know, from when I was very young, I always said to my family, I want to become a chef. And I think I was about five or six years old when I already wanted to be a chef. And then, I don't know, he grows, he grows. And then at one point, because, you know, I used to live in a very, very tiny village. Where I didn't know what to do, how to start and everything. This is when I met that uh, gentleman, you know, Monsieur Cocher. And then he took me under his wing and he said, look, if you follow what I'm telling you to do, if you do what I'm telling you to do, you will go far away. If you don't, then I'll drop you. So <laughs> believe me, I've listened to him all the way. He was a very tough man, but very, very old-fashioned. Really, I mean, he was, uh, he was fabulous, you know, really, really good. You so. obviously learned a lot from him. Yes. You have worked in some very exclusive and renowned establishments and this during prosperous periods that we no longer experience today. What has fundamentally changed in the way of receiving customers compared to a few decades ago? Well, I think the attitude of the people have changed because they don't take it as a passionate job. I mean, somebody might go there because you need a bit of money or they don't know what to do. But when I was very young and when I started, I was 16, when I started in that business, I mean, it was a very, very serious job. You know what I mean? You know, you start and you stick to it. And they were quite strict as well. I mean, all the head waiter, the management, I mean, it was very, very strict. But now it's a bit different because people, they might do this for a few months, then they stop. It's very very rare to find someone, I mean, you still find people who want to do it, who are passionate about it. But um, I feel like people, they just take it as, it's a job, that's all, no more than that. But again, there's people who are live for that job as well. Hein? But it's different. At that time also, when you had a job, you stay there for a long time. Now I know things have changed. People are there for a few months, then they go somewhere else. And uh, I'm not talking about the seasons. You were faithful to your boss, to the hotel where you used to work. That's what's different. On the same subject, we know that you worked at the Connet Hotel in London, a very prestigious hotel. Uh, this establishment undoubtedly had a positive impact on your approach to customers. What was so different, so wonderful, and so unique about this hotel? Its architecture, the clients, staff, management? It was the management, and it was managed by uh, Mr. Paolo Zago. Again, it was a very kind of old-fashioned way to run hotel. I mean, nothing wrong about it, but there was a hierarchy and you have to respect the hierarchy and uh, the hierarchy was very, very important there. And also, I mean, I was, I love this hotel because uh, there was a lot, a lot of well-known people. So when I started there, I started in, when well, it was 1979, first time I went abroad and uh, I started as a commie. And then after that, after a few months, I was chosen to work in a private room. 
And for me, I said, you know, I didn't know what really what it was because all the services, they were quite separately. You know, you don't mix with other departments. They all told me, but you're so lucky to be chosen. Just say yes, take it. So I, I took the position as a commie from the restaurant to the private room. And that was fabulous because all the VIP were there. Then after a few months, I was promoted as a chef de rang. But the problem is that everybody was speaking French. And, that, and I went to England, to London, to learn English. Most of the staff were French at the Connaught, most of them. I said, you know, I can't carry on like this because I, I will be there for months or years and at the end I won't speak English, I won't learn anything. So what I decided, I said, well, what I'm going to do, I would like to work in a private room. Uh, in the, not in private room, sorry. I would like to work on the room service. So you work on the room service, you got a person with you who helps you to prepare the trays, the coffee and everything. And then you got the whole floor for yourself to manage. That was a big challenge, I tell you, right? because my English was quite poor. But I thought, if I don't do something, then I won't progress. Anyway, so I went there and uh, I mean, it was fabulous. This is where I met Ella Fitzgerald, <gasps> David Niven, Mel Brook, uh, Deborah Kerr, oh, wow. Grace of Monaco, Prince Rainier. I mean, it was a quite, um, it was their nest. I mean, they were all there, all there. So it was fabulous. It was really nice. And I was able to go to their suite to speak with them and Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton as well. They were all there. It was nice. Oh, yeah. What an interesting experience to be able to work with uh, so many famous people, so many of them who are no longer with us today either. Exactly. I mean, all of them, they're all gone now. They're all gone. I mean, the atmosphere was absolutely fantastic. Uh, one day, Ella Fitzgerald called me and she said, um, can you bring me a bottle of champagne? I've got a few friends coming uh, to my suite. I said, yeah, OK, fine. So I went there with my baguettes and then I met David Neven in the corridor. And he says, um, give me the buckets and leave it to me. Follow me. So I went there with him. I was following him. He took the bucket and then he pretended that he caught his feet in the carpet. And uh, he pretended that he dropped the champagne. And suddenly, Ella went, oh, my God, Claude, what's happened to you? So she rushed into the corridor and she saw David Niven laughing, laughing. And he, would, he brought the champagne. She said, oh, my God, David, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. <laughs> So it was great. It was all little things like this. Mel Brook was fantastic as well with all his jokes and. Uh... Oh yeah! Oh yeah! What? Wow! That what a great experience to be able to meet an icon of American humor. <laughs> that was good, and I got a lot of autographs from them. Oh yeah! Oh, fantastic! Are there any other stories that you can share with our listeners about working in the Connet Hotel? So you were in room service. I was in room service. Yes. And then after that, what uh, did you stay? Did you change positions? I did the room service all the way. And then they wanted me back in the private room. They said, now your English has improved. I was at the Connaught for about uh, two and a half years. And then they said, well, your English has improved quite a lot. And we need to have you back in the private room. So I went back there and I worked with a wonderful man, Mr. Perez. He was fabulous. He was the manager there. And this is where I started to look after the royals. Because I love his story. I started to look after the royals because they were not, most of the time, they were not eating in the restaurant. They were eating in the private room table of 10, 12, entertaining, or they were guests. And this is where I started to look after the royal, the English royal family and some other as well. That has followed me all my life up to now because uh, I knew I mean, some of them, I know them for four generations now. 
for years you've been working as a manager in a very exclusive private club in London. What does your day-to-day -day work consist of? And how did you move from where you were before and what you were doing before into the private club? After two and a half years at the Connaught, I went back to Beaulieu-sur-Mer, where I used to live and where I used to work. They said, when you come back to the hotel, now you speak English, we need you back and everything. But once I was in Beaulieu, after the season, I didn't like the French attitude in the, the summer season. I don't know, it wasn't like the life I had in London, which is complete, it was completely different. So uh, I sent my CVs everywhere and then the Ritz made me a very good offer. So I went to the Ritz and I was there for about 10 years. I ended up as an assistant manager there. Then after that, I went to uh, work in Aix-en-Provence the Chateau Hotel and I was there for about 10 years as well and then I said well why not going back to London I sent my CVs and then I was contacted by the ex-general manager from the Ritz Hotel which I worked with him for 10 years and he was going to create a club I mean he was going to work there as a general manager in that club and he says why don't you join us and uh, we give you the position as a manager the restaurant manager so I went back to London for the interview went very well I didn't know what a club was and I discovered that That was in 2000. And then now 2023, 23 years later, I'm still working for the same family in the club. So I did three clubs, the first one. Then once it was up and running properly, I moved as a general manager to another club. Then unfortunately, everything was sold. But the son of the owner decided to create a new club because his father had five clubs. So he said, well, what's the point to have five clubs? It's better to have all those facilities under one roof. So now we have a huge club with 300 staff. Wow, 300 people. Wow, that's huge. So I started there as a private room manager because I had a choice. And uh, because in a private room manager, I could find the same people I used to look after when I was at the Connaught, when I was at the Ritz or even in Aix-en-Provence. So I've done this for quite a few years. And then because I knew most of the people, he's decided to give me the position as a host and guest relation. So this is what I'm doing now. I've been doing this for the last uh, three to four years now, which I really enjoyed. It's really, really nice. Very good. And what are the special requests from customers that you usually deal with? And what are some maybe unusual requests that you have had to meet in the past? Extra touches. And the requests which are um, happening quite often is about special tables, special room. Some of them, they don't like each other. So I know that very well. So when they booked, they said, do you know what to do with my booking? I said, yes, I do. I look on my little book and then I put one in one room and one in the other room because... Uh, That's how it is because they don't want to be in the same room. They're not all like that because the club is like their nest, like a nest. So they're all there. But of course, you cannot love everybody. <laughs> There's a pecking order. <laughs> Exactly. And the request, one very, uh, wasn't strange. I mean, but for example, a, a member said, look, I'm coming tonight for dinner with my wife and it's our wedding anniversary and I got no time to go to buy a present. I'm too busy. Here is my card. You go to Fortnum and Maisons. It's unlimited. Well, there is a limit, but he said, it's unlimited. Just choose a beautiful present for my wife. So there we go. Shopping in Fortnum and Maisons in the afternoon, not bad. <laughs> the wife was very happy and she never knew that I'd choose the present for her, you know. This London club, what, what time does it open and what time does it close? So we open in the morning at 7 o'clock. Oh, so early. Yeah. 
Oh yes, because it's a, it's a business, business club. We open for breakfast, then we got the lunch. Well, it's simple. You open from 7 in the morning and we close at 3 the next morning. Oh my goodness. Because there is a nightclub, you see. Of course. In the club, you have a restaurant on the ground floor. You have a restaurant on the top floor. You have a restaurant in the nightclub. You got a sushi bar. And then there is drawing room library where you can have light bites as well. And we are busy from seven o'clock in the morning. I mean, we never stop. We never stop. So do you ever get to sleep, Claude? I do, but not enough. <laughs> that's what you do on vacation. Hey, that's what I do on vacation, especially when I arrive, I'm lost. You know, I just want to sleep, sleep. Then after a week, I wake up. That's why I take a long holiday because I don't want to stay all my time in bed. But I enjoy it. England and London especially has had this tradition of private clubs. Is it still as popular oh, yes. as it was 50, 60, 100 years ago? Oh, yes. It is. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I mean, we in the club, we got about 3,000 members. Okay. And there is a year waiting list. Oh, wow. Okay. If anybody apply now, they know they have to wait a year okay. to become a member because it's impossible. And there is more and more club opening in London and they all seems to be busy. But the old one, like old fashioned, like what we are and very reliable and everything, there is not that many. And uh, we are very busy because we offer a lot of things. There is a book readings, there is a backgammon evening for the young, there is every month there is something and every time we renew ourselves. Then we got all the politics. I mean, it's um, it's a very, very busy place. And why do you think these private clubs are so popular? I mean, they're not as popular in other places. Why do you think they're so popular in England and in London in particular? Well, I think it's because the turnover of staff in the club is not that great. I mean, we do have a turnover, and of course, but it's not that great. So when the people come to the club, they are recognized. I always say to all the staff, treat them like if they were entering into their own house. This is very important. Whoever comes is treated like if it was his own house. And that's what they love. And also the discretion, because we will never mention to the press or whatever who was with and what they were doing, how much was the bill. It's discretion, discretion. We'd like for you to make us laugh a little. Can you tell us the story of a famous musical group which you had to refuse entry to the club and which subsequently caused a buzz? Oh, One Direction. <laughs> don't know why this came out from my mouth that day. Anyway, so we got this the member, a lady member. She came with a young man and he was wearing a hat. And you know very well, when you enter into, if you're polite, you enter into a shop, you enter into a restaurant, public place, you remove your hat. She came with him and I said to the young man, I said, can you please remove your hat? Oh, no. And I said, well, he was young. He was 18, something like this. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but you have to. That's the policy in the club. He said, yeah, but nobody will recognize me. And I looked at him and I said, doesn't matter. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. <laughs> I said, why should people recognize him? You know, who this kid? So he took the hat off. And then the member says to me, I got the rest of my guests, but they're outside. And I'm not too sure they will be allowed to enter into the club. Can you please have a look? I opened the door. I said, oh my God. And I closed the door. She said, what? I said, but they all have ripped jeans. You know, they cannot enter the club with ripped jeans, no jacket, open shirt and everything. Well, she said, oh, please, Claude, don't embarrass me. I went back with her outside. And then one of them was going with his feet. Oh, 
what do we do now? What do we do now? I said, what do you do now? There's only one direct direction is away from here. <laughs> Why did I say that, you know? And someone heard it. And because the member was saying, but don't you recognize them? It's one direction. And I said, well, it doesn't make any difference. Look, the way they are dressed, they can't come in. And there was a big thing at the reception. And then a couple of weeks later, a friend says to me, oh, you are on the Telegraph on the second page. And I said, oh, yes, sure. Yes, 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 you are on the Telegraph. I said, how can it be me? Why should I be on the Telegraph? I've done nothing wrong or whatever, you know. You are on the Telegraph. Look, I bought it. Look. And that member has told the press about the story. So since then, it's on the internet, if anybody wants to see it. But they put me as a bouncer. I'm not a bouncer, okay. <laughs> and people are still talking about it at the club. So often people, when they have guests at the table, said, oh, Claude, come to see us. I knew why. And then they said, oh, can you tell my guest the story about my direction? Anyway, still, after so many years, the story is still on, you know. Following you around. Exactly. <laughs> the famous sentence. Claude, on May 6th of this year, a unique and extraordinary event took place in London, the coronation of King Charles. Oh, yes. How did your club contribute to the festivities? And can you share some details now that the event is behind you? It was fabulous. I mean, we were chosen by Buckingham Palace to do the pre-coronation dinner. And the coronation dinner was hosted by the English royal family. And the guests were all the royals from all around the world. So because the next day they were going to the Abbey for the coronation. So my boss came to see me and he says, look, Claude, something great is going to happen to us. Uh, we go to host that dinner and you need to be here for us. And I said, well, I'm going to France on that day. But he said, how could you go away with a such event? And straight away I said, yes, absolutely, he's right. Changed my plan, went the day after, and it was fabulous. Because the thing, as I was telling you, working at the Connaught, at the Ritz, and at the club for 23 years, I know most of the royal because, as I said, I'm passionate about history, and some of them, I know them for the fourth generation. They know me, I know them, and Buckingham Palace said it would be nice if we could have a Claude as a host at the door with one of the royal members of the family to greet all the other royals. I was at the door with one of the royals and greeting them. And then when I saw them, you know, I knew exactly who they were. And most of them, they knew me. So I said, oh, Claude, how are you? Nice to see you. Blah, 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 all these things. It was a fabulous evening. I tell you, it was fabulous. It was like a big, big royal family all together. When they are all together, they're very, very relaxed. Very relaxed. And then at the end of the evening, some of the young from the, the English royal family, they stay behind. And they were asking me questions about Elizabeth the Queen Mother because I used to look after her when I was at the Ritz. So for them, it was their grandmother or great-grandmother. And we had a nice conversation, very easy, like if, I, like if I was seeing them every day. It was a great success. A beautiful letter from the palace as a thank you and uh, even a letter from the king. I mean, it was really, really nice. It was a beautiful uh, night. So you made the good decision to postpone your trip. Definitely. I didn't mind to lose one day holiday. doesn't matter. Because <laughs> I've never seen this again. No, that doesn't happen every day. No, but they said this once in your lifetime. I don't want to cancel my holiday every time as well. Eh? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> So, Claude, we've heard that you love the aristocratic yeah. world and that you've met, as you've already mentioned, a few crowned heads and have had the opportunity to converse with some of them. We are curious to know, I mean, what exactly do you talk about? What kind of topics 
I have to be very neutral, very, very neutral. I mean, the conversation, uh, kind of, the weather, <laughs> who doesn't talk about the weather in England? You say, oh, well, uh, when I was at the Connaught, or when I was at the Ritz, I used to look after your grandmother, or great-grandmother. Those things, but you have to be very, very neutral. You have to be very careful what you're saying because you don't want to say too much. You talk, but nothing serious. You have to be discreet. Yes, absolutely, yes. And diplomatic. That's the most important. Because after, when they will come back to the club, they will know the club, they will know me, and uh, we are in confidence. Because when they have to organize something, they will come to see me, and they know that I won't talk, I won't say anything to anybody else. I will just get on with it, and they know that the moment they enter into the club, until they go back into their car, they don't have to be worried about anything. It's discretion, discretion. So I imagine that you let them kind of lead the conversation. As I said, you know, it's their life, it's not mine. You know where you stand. You have to know your place. As for most of us commoners, how should one address aristocratic people like this? What are the codes? And how did you learn these different codes? And how long did it take you to integrate these different protocols? Well, because I was fascinated by history in general and then about the, the royals all around the world. So I've read a lot of books. Then make some research, I make some uh, notes, and then I know exactly, uh, for example, if they say to me, there is a duke or duchess coming to the club, I know exactly that you have to greet them by your grace. And then after that is man, like a king, is, uh, he will come to the club, is your majesty, then every time you address to the king, you don't keep saying your majesty every time. After that is sir. I mean, to me, it's just normal because it, there are the clubs so often that I don't even think about it. And some of them, they don't really uh, take offense if you make a mistake. They don't. The new generation are completely different. You have to show some kind of respect, but they don't expect, you know, to bow in front of them or, you know, like it used to be uh, years ago. Yeah, that was one of my questions. Since you've been dealing with four generations of the royal family, you must see a lot of evolution and differences between each of the generations. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, what other kinds of differences have you noticed? They are much more relaxed. For example, they will turn up, they will come for a dinner, and then they go to the nightclub, they dance among everybody, and people, they might recognize them, they might not. They're more like uh, anonymous people. I mean, some of them, they like to be recognized, eh? don't get me wrong. But a lot of them, they're lovely people, they're really nice. I mean, I would say normal I don't know if it's the right expression, but they're easy, very, very different than many, many years ago. Many years ago, they used to come with a lot of security. There was a protocol. You knew exactly what was going to happen the whole evening. But now when you got some of them coming, it's just, I mean, like, uh, I would say like a normal guest at the club. Anybody else? I think there was probably a lot of pressure on the royal family, little by little, to make them closer to the people in the country, for them to perhaps relax some of these protocols and to show people that, yeah, they're humans too and they're like everybody else. But they have to, they have to be more relaxed because uh, if they want to survive, they have to adapt. It's like us, if we want to survive with our job, if we want to survive, we have to adapt to technology, you have to adapt to different attitudes, then they have to adapt as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Claude, are you preparing for your retirement? Uh, 
Have you ensured the succession? Who's likely to replace you? And what are the qualities that are required to occupy the position that you've had and to succeed? Well, I should have retired over a year ago already, but they don't want me to leave. I don't mind. I love being at the club, you know. But they said, you can't leave. It's impossible. They are the mascot of the club. Don't go, please. <laughs> they, they don't want me to go because the problem is the staff who is at the club, they haven't been here long enough to have all this knowledge because they come and then they go and some of them, they're not interested because before we were quite, could I say, intimidated and interested in this type of people. But now you see them all over the paper. You see them on the TV. So at the moment, we haven't found anyone yet. So you can't, you can't retire. Well, what I do, I'll take a longer holiday because summer is quiet. All those big people, they go away. I'll be back in London mid-September. Mid-September, they're all back. Then January, more or less the whole month, they go away skiing, they go away their island or yacht or whatever. And then it gets quiet and then I get a bit more holiday. So it works well for the moment. I know one day I will have to stop, but at the moment I don't think about it because I enjoy it as well. And for you, you haven't been able to take someone under your wing to try to train and uh, you haven't found the right person yet. No. See, I did some training at the club, but they were not interested. And I was hoping that while I was doing the training, I would have found one person who would share my passion. But I couldn't find that person, you see. Wow, that's disappointing. It's disappointing to hear that uh, younger generation, uh, we hear this a lot, that they, you know, it's a job. They don't have this passion. This is what we keep hearing. The thing is also you need a person of a certain age because if you take a man who is in 25 years old, 30, 35, he didn't have the time to learn all this and to meet all these people. I was about in my 50s when I knew quite a lot. And then this work as a host and public relation and all this, it works well once you pass your 50s. And I see it with all the secretaries of those people. They're all in their 50s, 60s, even 70s because they have experience, they know everyone, and that's important. But a young one, he won't know all this. That's the thing. I wish somebody could start to be interested now. Because if that person would be starting to be interested now, then in a few years, he will get better and better. And then when he be 50, but I think people, they don't think what they're going to be like when they will be 50 or, or 60. They don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course not. They said at the moment we have a job, but who knows how long this job is going to last? They don't know it. We'll see. I just carry on. <laughs> <laughs> If someone was interested in doing the kind of job that you're doing, uh, what kind of school would you go to to learn this provision, uh, this profession? And does such a school exist anywhere? I mean, what kind of background? doesn't, you see. You learn this by working in different places. You build it yourself. You will go to a catering college, and like we have students who come to the club for uh, four months, six months to get experience at the club. So you will learn the basic at the college. But after that, you learn it on the premises. Because the students who come from Switzerland, they come to the club for about four, six months. They're amazed to see how a club work and uh, how the guests are with us as well. Because it's like a family. A club, it's like a family. Completely different than a hotel, completely different than a restaurant. Because they will come twice a week. They will come three times a week. 
week. Then we don't see them for months. And when we ca they came back, they're happy to see us. We're happy to see them. You learn by doing. You learn it on the premises. Exactly. And it can with practice. So before we end this interview, Claude, what is your message addressed to young listeners, those who have not yet chosen their profession? What would be your magic words to encourage them to embrace a career in welcoming customers in a private club or working in a private club? So what I would say in a private club, you might start at the base as a commie. If you are faithful to the club, if you do your job well, if you keep quiet and just get on with your job, you will go far away. And think that once you enter into the club, you could be there until you retire because we are well looked after, I tell you. Eh? I mean, I'm really, really lucky to be working for that family because they care about the staff. I mean, they look after us so well. You are rewarded. But I would say to them, working for a club is a security as well. It's great security. That's what I would say. And uh, and it's lovely because uh, you make good friends because your colleague will be there for years as well. And you build a, a friendship and also you build a kind of friendship with the member. I mean, working in the club, I tell you, it is the best best things it has ever happened to me in my life. The best thing, especially working for that club and that family. I mean, I, I couldn't hope for a better job. I could not. That's why I don't want to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Before we leave, do you have any other personal messages for our listeners? No, I think uh, we talked about um, about everything and uh, just, you know, if you start in the catering in, in general, I mean, smile, be happy, and uh, your life will be much easier. I mean, your working life will be much easier. Don't be negative, be positive, always smile and go to work with pleasure and look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, now it's time to go, it's tea time, English tea time. <laughs> Oh, yes, it is. It's a tea time. Thank you so much, Claude, for sharing your wonderful experiences, your interesting stories with us today. We really appreciate you being part of Fifty Shades of Hospitality. Thank you so much. This episode is sponsored by Private Members Clubs, 5 Hertford Street and Oswalds. Owned by entrepreneur Robin Burley, they sit in the heart of Mayfair, London. Opening in 2012 and 2018 respectively, the clubs operate in the luxury hospitality market and comprise of restaurants, bars, Lulu's nightclub, cigar shop, sushi bar, roof terrace and a courtyard. Our vision and mission is to be a home away from home, where members are looked after by a team who know them by name. To be the best in every way possible, showing passion in what we do, attention to detail, and a smile being the pinnacle of all our service. Our motto has always been to put our people first. This is fundamental to us achieving an average retention rate of 70%. We offer a range of initiatives to enable staff to be engaged and have a voice. Employee benefits are available to all from day one, and include our weekly well-being days, which provide a variety of options for staff to take some time out, whilst our employee assistance program gives advice on a variety of topics from finances to legal support. A role at 5 Hertford Street or Oswald's could become a career path with a multitude of opportunities. Our Recommend a Friend bonus scheme encourages a community approach to recruitment and rewards employees for their involvement in building our team. 
The scope of career prospects at the clubs is vast, from food and beverage, front of house, back of house, kitchens, wines and beverage, to head office roles such as membership, finance, and HR. For more information about working for the clubs, please contact hr at 5 hertfordstreet.com.